You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 50, verses 1 through 10, and we're going to be talking about the fact that your sorrow is only for a season. But before we take a look at this passage, just a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. First of all, I have to say it's another beautiful day here in southeastern Pennsylvania. I think spring has finally taken hold, and it took a long time for the weather to get there and to cooperate. So I'm grateful that that's the case. And uh, I've been looking around my house and noticing a lot of projects and things like that that I've been wanting to get to. So one at a time, I'm starting to check those things off the list, and one of them I actually hired out. I needed some repair work done to my driveway, and this week uh, a couple guys came over and did an excellent job repairing some of the cracks in our driveway and resealing it, and it seems like one of those things that if you told me when I was a teenager that there would be a day in my life when I would get excited about my driveway being repaired— Um, That wouldn't have seemed like much of a glorious future to me at the time, (laughs) but I have to tell you, I keep looking at the driveway and I think, wow, the the cracks are gone. Uh, The driveway looks good again. So I'm grateful for that, and it's nice to be at the time of the year where we can get some of those things accomplished. Also, I just want to say thank you to those of you that reached out to us this week. We heard from several of you, including Joanna. Joanna, thanks for your kind email. I really appreciated that. That was nice to read earlier this week. We also heard from Suzanne. And uh, Suzanne, I won't share your prayer request uh, with everyone specifically, but if you could be praying for Suzanne and her family, I know that she would definitely appreciate that. And Suzanne, it was great to hear from you, and thank you for your kind words of encouragement. It's always nice to have the opportunity to interact with those of you that listen to the podcast. So never be afraid to send us an email, particularly if there's something that you'd like prayer for. We're happy to pray about it. Uh, Also, I just want to point out to you our website is desirejesus.com. We invite you to stop by the website so that you could check out our blog and our online Bible studies, our bookstore, which has a lot of devotional resources and marriage resources and things related to leading. If you're involved in leadership, there's a variety of things there for leaders as well. You could also find links to both of our podcasts. So the informal Bible study, which you're currently listening to, but we also have links to the uh, chapter a day audio Bible. And I'm just about finished recording the Old Testament for the chapter a day audio Bible. And in just a few short days or a few short Short weeks, I will be working on the New Testament as well. So if you'd like to listen to the Bible a chapter at a time, be sure to check out the Chapter a Day audio Bible. And one other thing I'll certainly point out to you from the website, we have a link there. It's very prominent. It's right on the front page, and it's also in the top menu bar. Uh, But it's a link for our newsletter. And on Tuesdays, I send out a newsletter to listeners of this podcast and listeners to the Chapter a Day audio Bible podcast. It includes a brief devotional, and it also includes links to some of the new content that we're posting on the website. So stop by DesireJesus.com. It's certainly nice to be able to share those things with you, and it's also nice to hear from you during the course of the week. Now, as I mentioned at the start of our show today, we're looking at Jeremiah chapter 50. This, by the way, will be our last week looking at the book of Jeremiah. But today we're talking about the fact that sorrow, the sorrow that you're experiencing, your sorrow is only for a season. 
So if you would, take a look with me in Jeremiah chapter 50. We'll be looking at verse 1 down to verse 10. And this is what it says in that passage. The word that the Lord spoke concerning Babylon, concerning the land of the Chaldeans, by Jeremiah the prophet. Declare among the nations and proclaim. Set up a banner and proclaim. Conceal it not, and say, Babylon is taken. Bel is put to shame. Merodach is dismayed. Her images are put to shame. Her idols are dismayed. For out of the north a nation has come up against her, which shall make her land a desolation, and none shall dwell in it. Both man and beast shall flee away. In those days, and in that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah shall come together, weeping as they come, and they shall seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion, with faces turned toward it, saying, Come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will never be forgotten. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. All who found them have devoured them, and their enemies have said, We are not guilty, for they have sinned against the Lord, their habitation of righteousness, the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Flee from the midst of Babylon, and go out of the land of the Chaldeans, and be as male goats before the flock. For behold, I am stirring up and bringing against Babylon a gathering of great nations from the north country, and they shall array themselves against her. From there she shall be taken. Their arrows are like a skilled warrior who does not return empty-handed. Chaldea shall be plundered. All who plunder her shall be sated, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for the privilege to be able to look at this portion of Scripture today, and we pray that by your grace that we would understand it, that we would grow from it, that our hearts and our minds would be open to it. And we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would make these things possible for us, that as we look at this portion of Scripture that we would have clarity about it, and that by your grace we would learn to apply these truths to our day-to-day lives. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time and your word. We commit it to you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Think for a moment about something that made you sorrowful. I realize that's not always the kind of thing we prefer to think about, but since it's also not wise to deny ourselves the opportunity to grieve when we need to, let's think about something in that category for just a moment. How profound was your sorrow? Are you still in the midst of it? If not, while it was fresh, what did you do, or how did it impact your daily life? How did it impact the nature of your prayers? Did you ask God for relief, or did you find yourself feeling somewhat angry at God for allowing that grief to come into your life? Now, if your sorrow was a while ago, can you identify anything good that came from it? Truthfully, it's often our most difficult seasons that do the best job of making our hearts tender, our arms powerful, and our faith strong. And many of us can testify to the fact that even though we didn't enjoy our earlier seasons of sorrow, we don't regret them now 
because we're grateful for what we learned. And something else the Lord teaches us from those sorrowful experiences is that they don't last forever. Let me say that again. They don't last forever. For those who are in Christ, our sorrow lasts only a season. And we see that very fact displayed in Jeremiah chapter 50. Now, there's a few principles that this portion of Scripture brings up in the midst of thinking about some of those overarching thoughts, but one of the things that we could see in this passage as it sets up this thought that sorrow ultimately only lasts for a season, one of the things we see here is the fact that the proud are brought low. Let me reread the first three verses. This is what they say. The word that the Lord spoke concerning Babylon, concerning the land of the Chaldeans, by Jeremiah the prophet, declare among the nations and proclaim, set up a banner and proclaim, conceal it not, and say, Babylon is taken, Bel is put to shame, Merodach is dismayed. Her images are put to shame, her idols are dismayed, for out of the north a nation has come up against her, which shall make her land a desolation, and none shall dwell in it. Both man and beast shall flee away. Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom of Babylon, which he led, were the chosen instruments that the Lord used when he brought judgment upon the people of Judah. The people of Judah, as we remember, they had every spiritual and social advantage that you could imagine. But instead of glorifying the Lord who had blessed them, they forsook him, and they gave their allegiance to the false gods of foreign nations. Their idolatry was rampant all throughout the land, but that was now addressed through their season of captivity. Now, it's true that Babylon was the tool of correction that the Lord used to discipline his wayward children, but instead of accepting that role with humility, it's also clear that the nation of Babylon had become drunk with pride. They boasted in their dominance. And as we can see in multiple places throughout Scripture, God is directly opposed to pride. He makes a point to deal with Satan's pride, he makes a point to deal with the pride of the fallen angels, and he makes a point to deal with the boastful pride of men. In fact, one of my favorite verses of Scripture is from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, and it says this, it says, "'Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud.'" but gives grace to the humble. I mean, just imagine that for a moment. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Well, regarding Babylon's pride, the Lord brought them low. And in 539 BC, we know that they were conquered by a man named Cyrus. He was the leader of the Medes and Persians. And their kingdom was taken away from them. Their bragging rights were rescinded, and their season of dominance and their season of influence was brought to an abrupt end. If you've ever taken the time to read even just a small portion of the Bible, you've probably noticed this as a repeated theme in Scripture. The Lord opposes pride. We see that over and over again. Now, thankfully, in His mercy, He often orchestrates ways it can be stripped away, not just from nations, but from us as well. Sometimes he even uses a season of sorrow to do that. 
He did that for the people of Judah during their captivity in Babylon. He also did so for the nation of Babylon. So don't be surprised if he does so for you as well. It may not feel pleasant, but it can actually be evidence of his fatherly love. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, you may be familiar with this portion of Scripture, but it tells us, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And that's a favor that our Lord delights to do for those he loves. Now, something else we see in Jeremiah chapter 50 is an example that I think we can benefit from, and we see in verses 4 through 5 that the people weep with godly sorrow. Look at those verses with me. They say, In those days and in that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah shall come together, weeping as they come, and they shall seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion, with faces turned toward it, saying, Come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will never be forgotten. A while back, a man called me, somewhat out of the blue, and he asked if I had time to meet with him so he could talk, and I said, Certainly. And he stopped by our church to speak with me in my office. And without me going into the specific details, I'll say this— He started verbally unpacking quite a few things that he had invited into his life that were bringing him nothing but regret. He wanted to make a change, and he was tired of the mess he felt he had made of his life. And it was obvious to me that this may have been the first time he had shared some of these concerns with others, because as he spoke, he started struggling to get the words out, and when the words finally came, He erupted in tears, literally erupted in tears. Now, it's hard for a man to cry, and even though in that moment I could tell that this was very difficult for him, I was also happy for him because I could tell that he was going to experience victory over the things that had held him captive for so long. And when you look at these verses that we just read, verses 4 and 5 of Jeremiah 50, these verses describe a future time of weeping that the people of Israel and Judah would experience together as a reunited body. Jeremiah describes them as coming together, seeking the Lord their God, turning toward their homeland, and making a covenant to follow the Lord, and weeping as this takes place. And when your heart is broken, what do you do with your tears? I will openly confess that one of my least favorite things to do is to allow myself to cry. But I've become much more comfortable with it when it's appropriate than I used to be. And the truth of the matter is there are some times when the most appropriate thing to do is weep. This would be particularly true when we consider what this passage is describing. It's describing a day when the people of Israel and Judah begin to appreciate the depth of God's love for them, and they grieve tears of repentance and godly sorrow as they begin taking steps toward God instead of running from God. In fact, I like what it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It tells us this about sorrow or grief. It says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. 
Isn't that a fascinating scripture and a fascinating concept to wrestle with? Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation. Worldly grief produces death. Can you identify with this experience? Has there ever been something in your life that you tried to hold on to for so long, even though you knew for certain it was grieving the heart of God? What happened within you while you held on to it? What kind of release did you experience when you finally repented and gave that missing piece of your heart or that missing piece of your life over to him? There are few things as beautiful on this earth as a heart that learns to weep the tears of repentance. Scripture tells us that even heaven rejoices over lost sinners who finally come to the point where they turn from their sin. I've always loved what it tells us in Luke chapter 15, verse 7. It says this, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. That's something that Jesus made abundantly clear during the course of his earthly ministry. And that's something that we would do well to remember as well. And in this portion of Jeremiah's book, we see an example of the people weeping, not with a worldly sorrow, but with a godly sorrow. And it makes a huge difference. Now, chapter 50 of Jeremiah's book also illustrates something about shepherds. And here I think we can see the fact that the greater shepherd replaces the lesser. Look at what it says particularly about the lesser shepherds in verses 6 and 7. It says this, My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. All who found them have devoured them, and their enemies have said, We are not guilty, for they have sinned against the Lord, their habitation of righteousness, the Lord, the hope of their fathers. I won't mention any names, but not long ago, I read of a prominent Christian leader who was compelled to leave his position of leadership due to the fact that his life did not reflect the message he'd been preaching. I was sad to learn of this, but unfortunately, this isn't new news. Just as there are religious leaders, social leaders, and political leaders in our era that abuse their positions of leadership, such was the case 2,600 years ago as well. The Lord described his people as lost sheep. The men that had been entrusted with the task of pointing them toward the Lord were unfortunately pointing them toward the values of this world instead. Their religious and political leaders went from mountain to hill, worshiping at the shrines of false gods, while giving very little thought to the lives that they had been called to oversee. And with such poor examples in places of prominence, It's not difficult to see why so many people in Judah took the same direction with their own lives. But thankfully, we have a shepherd who is greater than the duplicitous leaders who devour their people. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, describes himself as the good shepherd that we ultimately need. I like how Jesus says this in John chapter 10, verse 11, but he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's how Jesus states that in that passage. Jesus doesn't devour us. He builds us up. Jesus doesn't lie to us. He fills our lives with the truth of his gospel. 
Jesus doesn't seek to destroy our lives. He seeks to give us new life in him by laying his life down for us. In Christ, our good shepherd, we find true life, true hope, and genuine freedom. And there's one other thing very much related to that that we find illustrated in the portion of Jeremiah 50 that we're looking at today. And in verses 8 through 10, it shows us that the captives flee to their freedom. Let me read that for us. It says, Flee from the midst of Babylon, and go out of the land of the Chaldeans, and be as male goats before the flock. For behold, I am stirring up and bringing against Babylon a gathering of great nations from the north country, and they shall array themselves against her. From there she shall be taken. Their arrows are like a skilled warrior who does not return empty-handed. Chaldea shall be plundered. All who plunder her shall be sated, declares the Lord. There are some curious comments made about Babylon in the book of Revelation, chapters 17 and 18. Those chapters describe a future date when an empire will rule the earth and influence the people of the earth to engage in all manner of immorality. Various interpreters hold the different thoughts on how that prophecy will be fulfilled, but I do want to point out a particular aspect of it that we would do well to notice. In Revelation chapter 18, verse 2, we read this, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons. And then in Revelation 18, 4, we read, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins. Now, it appears to me that there's a correlation between what we see in Jeremiah 50 and what we read in Revelation 17 and 18. During Jeremiah's time, we were given a picture of something that illustrates a greater reality. And as the people of Judah would have the privilege to flee from Babylon at the end of their captivity, and as the book of Revelation describes God's people fleeing from the immoral mindset and lifestyle that will prevail in the end times, so too do we have the privilege to flee from the snares of Satan that seek to entangle us in ungodliness. We were once captives to our sin. We were once chained to it and destined to do the bidding of our old nature. And while we were captives, we didn't even realize it. Until the Lord made it clear to us, we weren't even aware of our need for the kind of freedom he delights to supply. Just as the people of Judah were going to soon have the privilege to flee from a land of idolatry and ungodliness to a land where the Lord had given them their freedom, so too is that offer being made to us in Christ. If you want the freedom he offers, freedom from being a slave to unrighteousness, freedom from anxiety, freedom from the curse of death, he is offering it to you, and he's asking you to trust him to grant it to you. You can remain captive in your own Babylon if you want, lost in your sorrow, lost in your grief, grieving forever, or you can begin experiencing real life as God desires you to experience it through our Deliverer, Jesus Christ. And in Christ, any sorrow we experience 
is only for a season, because he is the source of our lasting joy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege that it has been today to be able to look at it together and meditate on the concepts that you're revealing to us in it. Lord, we're grateful for the fact that in your Son, Jesus Christ, we find lasting joy, and that means that any sorrow we experience now is only sorrow for a season. And Lord, we recognize that there's even a godly form of sorrow that we could experience now as we learn to repent of our unbelief, as we learn to repent of anything unhealthy, ungodly, or unwise that we've welcomed into our lives. And we give these things over to you, and we rest in the cleansing that we have received from our sin through your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth to atone for the sin that we had committed. Lord, we're grateful for these things, and we're grateful for the new life that we have through you, new life that we have the privilege to walk in each and every day. We're just grateful for it all. We're grateful for your love, and we're grateful again for the reminders that you give to us and the new teaching that you supply to us as we look at your word. We commit ourselves to you today, and we thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we'd invite you to stop by our website, desirejesus.com, where you can utilize all the free resources that we have. You could also check out our bookstore if any of those uh, resources that are available for purchase would also be of interest to you. And we encourage you to get on our free weekly newsletter that we send out each Tuesday with a brief word of encouragement and links to anything new that we put on the website. We enjoy sharing that with you. And again, thanks as well for those of you that have given us feedback that the resources we're creating are helpful to you in your walk with Christ. That kind of eggs us on to keep doing it. So thanks again for the words of encouragement. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week, and we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. Hey everybody, I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And we're hosts of the Kynos Project Podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. The word Kynos means new, and that's exactly what we want to do on our podcast. Bring something new from what is old in our faith. And on this show, you might hear us explore topics like what the Bible has to say about student loan forgiveness, discuss how the Satanic Temple affects our view of religious liberty in America, or even question why is it that so many people are having rapture anxiety. To learn more about the podcast, go to lifeaudio.com.